They might start out by falling into something, but then they might realize, oh, hang on, hang on a minute. Why am I interested so much in this particular arena? What is it about this that drives me? And they might be curious then to go and dig more into the detail to understand about themselves. Now, I, I think it is pretty impossible to help others unless we have a deep understanding about ourselves and unless we've taken that time out to self-reflect and ask ourselves those questions. Welcome to Passion and Profits Without Burnout. I'm your host, Jacob Moore. I'm a speaker, coach, childhood suicide loss survivor, and filmmaker who left Hollywood to follow my heart of service. I've helped tens of thousands of people find the balance in their life between passion and profits. On the show, I'm going to teach you how to build a trauma-responsive, resilient, and impactful community and organization, all without burning out. Let's get started. Well, hello, and welcome to Passion and Profits. I am joined today by Michelle Ansouk, who is uh, outside of Marseille, France, and uh, a, a place that I think is just quite lovely and can't wait to return to. Michelle, thank you for joining me and, uh, and being here to share your expertise. Thank you for asking me, Jacob. Of course. Uh, this topic, I think, is fascinating and one that is, uh, I, I think we could probably talk for hours and hours about it, and, um, yeah, probably. and, and perhaps <laughs> we'll get the chance to do that first. <laughs> for today, I want to dig into just starting with a definition. What is neurolinguistic programming? So neurolinguistic programming is a is a technique uh, basically started by Richard Bandler and uh, it's it was where they monitored and and looked at the patterns that best what they considered best practice therapists to be using in terms of their results. So the results that they were getting were outstanding. They wanted to understand why that might be the case. Uh, they followed them, they looked at what they were doing and they came up with these series of tools and techniques that could be used with individuals. And essentially it's, it looks at the conscious and subconscious mind. It looks at the way patterns form in people's behaviors. It looks at their language in terms of how they might use their language. And then looking at all those things and putting them together, it, it helps a coach um, guide and aid an individual to um, improve the situation that they're in, whatever situation that is. It's um, it's a little frustrating for me that it's not, well, it's well known, but it tends to fall in two camps. Um, people absolutely hate it and people absolutely love it. Um, and I've... I've not come across um, a huge amount of people that really know that much about it. Uh, and I think it's a real shame when you can, when you compare it to other therapies, such as talking therapies, uh, cognitive behavior therapy. I think it really, it, it kind of earns its place alongside those, but it hasn't necessarily had the monetary investment behind it to investigate its efficacy and, mm -hmm. and the, the outputs that individuals can make. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, very, very much. And so sort of if I can crudely summarize, uh, it is becoming consciously aware of what we are unaware of and understanding how that subconscious 
programming really drives our behaviors, our, our actions, uh, the, th the things we say, and what we really define as uh, us. Is that right? Absolutely. That's a perfect summary. <laughs> So I'm curious then, can can you just share, because I I really focus a lot on this idea of mindfulness and um, being aware of, you know, my, my present circumstances, my thoughts, my breath, uh, things of that nature, my surroundings. Um, how does neuro-linguistic programming differ from simply being mindful? Well, I think you can be mindful in the moment. Um, I think I always thought I was mindful in the moment, as in I was present and future focused. I wasn't very um, past focused at all. I, if you like, I had a bit of a delete uh, mentality where I didn't really think about the past. Mm. I didn't dwell on the past. I was always thinking about the here and now and the future. So in that space of being present, here and now that's fine but if we have no understanding of how our past has affected us you don't know what you don't know right mm. so you think that you are behaving in a particular way just because that's the way you're made that's who you are that is what you do what i think can be a revelation to some people and in my case it was was that the reasons i was behaving in certain ways were because of my past and they did drive me to mm. be very determined to work very hard over hard on times to not give myself a break so even when i was in the moment in the moment to me was probably quite brief but i had no awareness that i could change those behaviors and that i could actually be even more present and really be mm -hmm. at peace with uh, the person that I was, understand the reasons for those behaviors, yeah. and actually just chip away at my kind of personality to uh, avoid previous pitfalls that I found myself in. There's an awful lot on social media now about, you know, mindfulness, meditation. Uh, it, it's, it, they are, the, I, I think they are very good practices to do. I think the problem is if you don't know why you're doing it or you're doing it because you've seen it and you think it's a jolly good idea and you think it's good to relax your sure. mind. So, okay, I'm going to practice five or 10 minutes meditation. Yes, you can be present, but if you return back to your hectic, busy, overwhelmed life five to 10 minutes later, that's not the same. Yeah. I, I appreciate that distinction. And I think a lot of people mistake mindfulness for escapism and using uh, a mindfulness practice to check out uh, and to your point if we're just then going right back in there's there's no actual discernible change behavior change or change of you know reality or circumstances then it's no different than watching a television show or playing a video game or you know, drinking alcohol or something else that we might do to escape. Exactly. Michelle, I want to, I want to bring this to some context that is applicable to our listeners. Um, so service leaders who are in the business of helping other people in general, mm -hmm. we, I can collectively say are people who um, have a drive to 
help others, um, to do some good in the world. And oftentimes that comes um, through some amount of self-sacrifice and um, in mm. worst case scenarios uh, leads to burnout. I think looking at it through this lens of, uh, of subconscious programming, um, I'm wondering um, how much of those of us who are in the business of service or are helpers, um, as it might be called, um, are doing it uh, because it's their personality, um, because it's a natural, um, you know, phenomenon, phenomena for them, or how much, uh, are people doing this because it's what they were programmed to do or told to do, um, mm. they're told who they were or the result of, um, maybe, uh, an adaptation to, um, something that they experienced when they were younger. What are your thoughts on that? I think it can be a mix. Um, I think, you know, we're not all the same. We're all unique. We have different backgrounds. We have different expectations, different cultures, uh, different experiences and different advice over the years from various role models, be it our parents, teachers, friends, whatever. And I think there is something about being service leaders where you could say, well, okay, um, that type of personality has a need to rescue people, to make sure that everything is okay with everybody, to nurture, to care, to to almost gather everybody in and, and hold them close to enable those people to be better people. Perhaps sometimes because they have learned from their own experiences and want to impart that, that advice to others. Uh, sometimes it is just because it's the very thing that they find is their strength and they find that people will listen to them. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is down to how people tune into you as a person. If you find you have rapport with people and you find it easy to communicate with people and you're interested in the psyche and everything else, it all can build in a very subliminal way to, um, to wanting to help others. But for each person, the reason for doing that can be very, very different. I, I would suspect that... For instance, if you were in the category of something that happened to you when you were younger, and then you had a view that you wanted to prevent other people going through uh, the pain or sacrifice or whatever that you had particularly gone through, I think mm -hmm. we need to be careful with that because my experience, of course, is not the same as somebody else's experience or somebody else's experience. So I think it, it, it can be very right. complex because it's very individualistic based. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And, uh, and I think for many of us who are um, service leaders, um, we are driven by those experiences, meaning mm. that it was a painful oftentimes or a traumatic experience. And so, yeah, of course we want to help others avoid that. I think the what we want to suss out here is, um, are we doing this as a conscious decision um, and understanding why we're making that decision? And what is the intersectionality of experiences, skill sets, personality, um, all of the things that you mentioned versus um, being driven to do this work um, as a coping mechanism, as a way of um, maybe, you know, healing from um, past trauma or making up for past wrongs or, or whatever it may be. Um, I don't want to, you know, be, be trite in my, um, 
you know, my description, there's, like you said, a wide variety of um, people and, and reasons why people come to this work. But, um, but that's what I, I want to dig into today with you is really understanding um, why we do what we do and in ensuring that we are making a decision and not just falling into something or um, something um, that, that we're, we're doing, um, certainly on a career level, um, is just a result of um, a, a headlong stumble into, uh, uh, you know, the, the path that we're already on. So I think a lot of us have been there in terms of stumbling, <laughs> stumbling into something. Um, I, I think absolutely. There's, there's no judgment there. <laughs> there, there. There's nuance here, I think, because it is entirely possible for people to start out falling into something because it feels right, but they don't know, they don't know why it feels right. Um, or they're very good at what they do. They may not know why they're good at what, what they're doing. Mm -hmm. There could, but I think it depends at what point in your life you start doing those things. So it's quite interesting. Uh, uh, of all the people that I that I meet on LinkedIn, for instance, who yeah. are in the service or providing assistance for others, it is 99% of the time because they have had personal experiences that they want others to yeah. learn from. Um, however, sometimes yeah. I think, and we can give people advice, sure, but sometimes we learn best from our own experiences. So I'm not saying to people, well, you can't do any of the things that that uh, that we're, we're kind of warning you about, because that would not be right. We need to learn by our own experiences. However, I think there are people who have learned different things along the way. So different different elements of their pathways, for instance, they might start out by falling into something, but then they might realize, oh, hang on, hang on a minute. Why am I interested so much in this particular arena? What is it about this that drives me? Mm -hmm. And they might be curious then to go and dig more into the detail to understand about themselves. Now, I, I think it is pretty impossible to help others unless we have a deep understanding about ourselves and unless we've taken that time out to self-reflect and ask ourselves those questions because that would if we don't do those things for me that then doesn't feel right to be in that space to to be a service leader for other people i i agree and and I and I don't think you're saying that we need to um, be perfect or you know even fully healed necessarily, but we do have to have that awareness and have to have that that search um, to really understand um, at least who we are, um, which I appreciate. So, Michelle, let's dig into a little bit of the how. I also think that there there might be a clear indicator sometimes for people because if we're in a job of, of being a service leader and we're providing a service for others and we find that we are getting either more emotional or um, we're judging somebody for their situation or we're feeling, uh, I don't want to say angry, but frustration with their situation, then that would be a trigger for me, I think, what is it about that in this space that is providing that trigger for me? And I think that's why I talk about self-reflection, 
because I, I have come across people who, who have been in that industry and they they have got quite frustrated with certain individuals who have come to them. And this is where I come back to rapport between yeah. people as well. Um, and often I, I kind of, it tends to be the, the kind of coaching scenario where you have people telling people what they think they should do, which is not my style, but it, it can be somebody else's style. And then uh, taking offense or being frustrated if that person doesn't take their advice, etc. So I think, I think there are, there's a little flag to say that if you feel that frustration, that might be a good point. Or if you are feeling overwhelmed and overworked and you can't, um, you feel you can't continue listening to people's problems, that might be a point to reflect and go, why might, why might that be the case? Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, just a, a personal anecdote, you know, I used to do a lot of one-on-one or small group coaching and, um, had to walk away from it for, um, quite some time. And, um, that, also coincided with professional development for me. Um, but I, you know, was at a point in my life where it was doing me more harm than good. Um, meaning mm. that, you mm. know, the, the feel good parts of helping people, um, we're not overshadowing the, uh, emotional toll that it was taking on me or what yeah. I was maybe, um, challenged by during that time. Um, it was bumping yeah. into that for me and, and I had to, um, mm. to step away, um, for, for a period of time. And, um, and, and I think that's what we're talking about here is, is that awareness. So I, I'd love to dig into, um, how, how do we start to become aware of this subconscious? Because like you said, we don't, we don't know what we don't know. Um, so mm. I, I imagine that everyone listening wants to know, um, how do they start that journey? <laughs> so I, I think, I mean, I've already mentioned some flags that, that I would look for. So if I, if I look back at my own personal example, I, I was a driver. I was very determined. I worked very hard. I'd been brought up to believe that you work hard for everything in this life. You know, nothing in this life comes free. We can think of a million phrases mm -hmm. around that. Um, I, I think my mum used to say, if a job's worth doing, wor worth doing, it's worth doing yourself. So everything about my background had taught me that I had to work hard, very hard. I mustn't take anything for granted. Um, I must uh, do everything around the house. I must look after my kids. And I never really stopped and thought, if this was somebody else in my situation, and I could see them running themselves ragged, working all the hours God sends, mm -hmm. looking after two boys, being a single parent, trying to be perfect around the house, um, not really having a social life. What would I say to that person? Because chances are, if that was your best mate, you would be reading the riot act. <laughs> you would be going, what do you think you are doing? Because this is not sustainable. Yep. But when it comes to ourselves, for some reason, we think we've got the Superman cape. We seem to think that we can just continue in that way. So my, my main tip is to imagine that you can see a, either a double version of you in the same room or a friend of yours, but apply the same um, 
uh, life for them that you are currently running and just have a look to mm. see what that would look like. Imagine what that would look like. Yeah. And if you could imagine that they were there with you, what kinds of things would you be saying to them? Would you be asking them questions like, is it absolutely necessary, for example, to to do all the work you're doing? If you could do something in a different way, what could you do? If you could, if you had choices, what things would you change? It's asking those open-ended questions to prod the person into thinking. We are more than capable of actually answering those questions ourselves. It's just easier if you take it out of your head and pop it somewhere else so that it feels like you are asking somebody else the question. It feels less emotional and just more logical and factual. And the answer will come back very instinctively. Well, I could change my working day. I could get takeout tonight. I could see if I could find help to, for someone to look after the children. There, there would be a probably quite a long list of things that you could do. But it's the fact that we never really ask ourselves. We just continue thinking it's our responsibility to do all of those things. Right. So it becomes necessary to start to view ourselves from the outside. Uh, we have to be able to look at ourselves as if we were some someone else as a, uh, a third party uh, in order to step out of the the cycle that we sometimes get in of yes. do, 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 um, or have to, um, I, I, those are have tos and shoulds, um, you know, as they say, you know, stop shooting oh, on yourself, yeah. um, because <laughs> it's, it's just leading to this cycle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And actually that's a good point about the language. If, if we start to notice that we're using, I need to, I have to, I should do, those are drivers. Those are very strong drivers for continuing actions, continuing practices that are invariably, well, look, it's not always bad. I'm not saying that, you know, if I need to go shopping, is that a bad thing? I'm not saying that the, using that language all the time is bad. But if it's, I, I need to do this, I have to do this, very often what I ask is, so what? If you don't do those things, what happens? Yeah. And And in reality, Actually, not a lot, <laughs> but we would physically yeah. ask that question. We imagine the world will end. We imagine that something terrible is going What's to happen because our scenario? imagination is much more powerful. Yeah. It goes to the worst case. Whereas if we actually say, so what? What if you don't do those things? The brain has to go, oh, actually, <laughs> I don't know, or not a lot. or And it, it can be quite surprising. Hey, The brain can actually go, just go, well, I actually don't know the answer to that question. So it's really interesting to just do that, that, that stopping and thinking and reflecting and asking questions. Now, sometimes that's more useful with a coach. If you, if you don't necessarily have the tools per se or are comfortable or confident in doing that, sometimes it can be useful to see a coach or somebody in that sphere who could help you. But, but once you've got yeah. the 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 basis of that we can then stop and go actually do you know what i'm i'm sure there's a way of a different way of doing that so let me just stop for a moment and think about it i think it's just our human nature that we don't tend to stop we just tend to keep going so um what i'm hearing you say is first we need to become aware of the the flags what yep. those 
you know signals are and that can be language um can can be that um i would imagine feeling overwhelmed uh, or feeling like you know somehow we can't catch up those yeah. those flags are a signal that we need to make a change yeah. and and then once yeah. once we do then it's it's coming to a place of of rest right stopping and asking or or bringing in the strategy of what what if what would happen or as you said so what yeah and i think um you know when you talk about the flags uh i could almost project myself back to where i was in that i used to call it um being on a hamster wheel i just felt like i was running running mm-hmm. running running all the time without a break the the real benefit of the so what is that it's almost a way for the brain to take a breath it is to to have a mini pause to just stop and think which you normally don't give ourselves time to do i think there is nuance in terms of there's a lot of negativity associated with going slower taking time out doing things perhaps in a different way certainly the world that i was in was in project management and the project management style was you did lots of hours you worked really hard um you were task orientated activity orientated and i think in the corporate world there is an expectation of a certain um sure. performance workload and then there's negativity associated with not necessarily um working to the norm so that's why i say it can be difficult for people to ask themselves those questions because i would bet most people deep down know that the the situation that they have found themselves in is not great but they want to be seen to be coping so they just keep going yeah because action or doing is i think the ultimate distraction uh, because if we're busy then we don't have time to to think or to feel bad about what we're doing um but it's a it's a trap um busy does not yeah. equal productive or effective it's can be just a space filler i am i'm thinking about um the beginning of the year for me january into february is um is a tough time for me for many reasons um living in a you know northern state where there's um limited light um that certainly affects my mood not being able to get outside um be be as active um after the holidays and after the new year um there's just this you know inevitable sort of like let down of not having exciting um things happening um and then the pressure of this is a new year new you you have all of these you know resolutions and um plans and goals for the upcoming year it also coincides with the anniversary of my birth father's suicide of um my you know anniversary of the death of a you know of a dear friend and it's just generally a very hard time for me and i find um near mid the end, end of january every year i'm just feeling down depressed apathetic lethargic and i um just i can't focus i can't get things done and traditionally i've been really hard on myself um 
and and really just you know critical of my inability to get going because it's the new year and of course like I need to get going and um, this year I I had some awareness going into the year to say um, every year the cycle repeats and each year I, I go through this the same routine and I find myself you know February uh, mid-February finally coming out of it and being like, whoo, that, that was awful. Um, and I just made it worse on myself. So this year, um, I actually took time off and I, I allowed myself to just be, to just experience. And, um, it wasn't as though I, I, I did no work. Um, I, I did some, but, um, certainly what I, the, the level of output that I, you know, uh, enjoy, I, I I didn't do, and um, was so much better for it. So um, this is just a small little case um, study of uh, to affirm what you're saying. You know that that sort of being um, being aware first is is really what's necessary. Understanding the flags, um, and then and then stopping and reflecting. And I and I absolutely asked myself that question: like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if I take time off? If I'm not busy if I'm not quote unquote productive, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? And when we go through those scenarios, understanding that like in, in reality, that, that probably is not going to be the case. And as it turns out, it wasn't. And in fact, I was better off for it. And now coming into, you know, this season, um, I'm doing better than ever, better than, than usual, certainly. So well, I'm I'm sorry to hear about your birth father. Um, my my own mother committed suicide actually when I was seven months pregnant. So and I didn't know that about your dad. So um, I can empathise with that. And I think that is a typical example actually where I I don't know how I felt at the time. I certainly didn't grieve, and because I was pregnant, I think I shut my brain down to protect my baby, and continued sure. life as normal. Um, and I never, I never took time out about that. And I think, you know, when I when I look back at the different experiences that I've had, and I'm, you know, a coper, I I thought it was a strength to cope and get through those uh, difficult situations. I think it takes greater strength to actually self reflect and stop and take time out, like you've done, Jacob. So uh, hats off to you. But I, but I do really think that. It's something that we, in our society at the moment, for me, life seems to be getting faster and faster and faster, greater pressure, greater social media influence and pressure to succeed, to not stop. I mean, only this morning yeah. I was looking at a, um, a LinkedIn video where somebody was saying, oh, I don't need any sleep. You know, I've got a one-year-old. I, I had four hours sleep and I can function perfectly fine. Well, okay, you may be able to for one month, two months, three months, but how long is that going to continue for and is it sustainable (laughs) yeah exactly exactly so i think there's this bravado around us coping and continuing keep going when in fact um we're not machines eh? no and and that's a a, quite a toxic perspective and as the father of a a now one-year-old um you know i can say it's been an incredibly difficult year um and i didn't realize how well I slept before, 
how much I took sleep for granted before. <laughs> and um, what, a, what a premium it is in my life. Um, but I, I think, um, you know, the, the person that you spoke of, like, right, yes, you can, you can continue and you can um, potentially do your work and, and perform. Um, but at what cost to your health? Um, but more yeah. importantly, at what cost to your relationships? Because there is, mm. uh, when we are at sleep deficit, uh, there is uh, many, many chemical reactions that happen inside of our body um, that, and, and inside of our brain that um, lead to um, uh, lessened ability to be able to manage stress, um, to be able to create all the um, neurochemicals, transmitters that we need to uh, keep our mood elevated, um, but to engage in relationships in a, you know, healthy, thoughtful way. And, um, that's what I found, um, have found over the last year was the first thing to go for me was my patience was, mm. uh, my filter, the space that I would leave in between, um, my thoughts and my actions or my thoughts and my words. And, um, that absolutely has an impact, um, on, relationships, but especially with these little ones, um, it has a, a permanent, uh, impact on their development. Like we were talking about pre-show, um, my, my wife and I were just having this discussion about not wanting to, you know, ruin our son and, um, wanting to, him to have a healthy attachment style and to, um, really just have a, a, a secure sense of self he recently started going to, um, you know, to a, a daycare, um, center at the, uh, Montessori school. And, um, and it's been a difficult transition for him to go and spend three days a week there. Um, and it's really good for all of us, um, because we need yes. time. He needs, uh, independence and a sense of self. Um, but, um, we, we were talking about this fact that, um, up to 75% of our personality is developed by the age of three. And, um, yeah. and a lot of that happens, um, so early that we don't remember it in our adulthood. No. So who we are is determined largely by things we, we will never remember in our lives. And those who have the biggest influence on that are of course, our parents and the amount of time that they spend. Yeah the words that they use, the tone that they use, the, the, you know, whether or not they, you know, pick you up when you start crying or, um, you know, need something like all of this affects who we are and how we are able to healthfully connect with other adults, um, uh, when we grow up. So, so yeah, uh, I, I digress on, on all of that. It's, uh, <laughs> obviously something that's very, very present in my mind. No, I was just going to say that it's so true because um, obviously my, I, I say obviously like everyone knows, but I know <laughs> my my upbringing was uh, not ideal. I think that's putting it lightly. Um, and I think that was the very reason why I ended up breaking and, and having or experiencing burnout and having depression because, as you said, I have, I, okay, I have memory of what has happened in, uh, so I suffered physical abuse and psychological abuse on my parents, but I had no memory really of what happened um, pre seven, but I, yeah. I marched forth into the world, I thought complete as a person with very good morals, very good um, work ethic, and had 
absolutely no idea of the psychological impacts on me and my future relationships with others, men, colleagues, friends, whatever. This, the, the physical impacts on me as a person in terms of how I then drove myself, absolutely no idea at all. I just thought I was me. So I think, you know, when, when we're talking about how would someone know, well, with hindsight, of course, I could tell that I was running out of steam and, you know, on the hamster wheel and feeling fatigued. But I literally had no idea what to do. No idea. And, and unfortunately, I think many people get to a situation where they end up uh, breaking because they they have they don't have that support network. They don't have that advice. They don't have any outside kind of assistance that could alert them to the fact that actually these could be um, these could be poor behaviours that might result in in burnout, in depression, in whatever. Of course, which is a a long road to recovery potentially. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I, I really appreciate you sharing your, your story. And, and I think as someone, you know, my, my birth father died um, by suicide when I was six years old. So I think similarly to you, I don't, I don't remember a lot uh, before that. And um, <clears throat> a lot of what I have over time attributed to just being my personality um, being the eldest of 33 cousins and, um, someone who is driven and strong and, you know, a athletic and sort of tireless. Um, now I'm realizing, um, oh, those were, those were coping mechanisms and, and techniques. And actually, um, as I've gotten to know myself better, um, certainly through becoming a father has, um, helped me with that process. Um, I've come to realize that some of the things that I just um, took for granted as being me, like who I thought was me, were were things that were actually just thrust upon me by circumstances. And, um, you know, and I think to your earlier point, going through and doing that analysis sort of from the third party perspective, or um, if if you need help with that, you know, working with a coach or a therapist or, you know, trusted advisor um, for that process, um, can be really helpful because then you can choose what do I want to keep and what can I let go? What mm. actually belongs yes. to me and what is yeah. something that I can leave in the past? Um, and I, and I think that brings yeah. us full circle to this idea, um, that, you know, you, you have to include the past in this process in order to yeah. truly understand, um, who you are in the present day. And, and this, and I think we've said before, this isn't about becoming the perfect person, the perfect parent, the perfect friend and colleague. I think this is right. just being, it's, it's adding a layer of richness to something that potentially wasn't there before. Once you, once you pull in that understanding of why you might be behaving in a certain way, it isn't necessarily, as you said, about deleting those behaviors but at least then you can take some control and say well actually what's useful for me right now what what isn't useful mm -hmm. for me and what should i do with that now in terms of what therapy what uh what tools and techniques are out there it's uh, i i don't bang on about neurolinguistic programming being the panacea to world peace it just happens to be something that works very very quickly for certain individuals um, 
and and I would right. encourage people to try it if they've not heard of it before. Uh, but if it doesn't work for individuals, there are a zillion other things that people can try that actually does fit with their personality type or their the, the way that they work much better. It's just about trying something. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, Michelle. As we wrap up here, um, I can see it's um, it's become dusk there in um, in the south of France, and uh, <laughs> I want to um, give you you know the time you need to rest. Um, so, what what would be the you know the the biggest takeaway for someone listening um, or um, a, a next step an action item that someone could take um, to get started on this process? What's something that they could do right now today to um, to begin? I think. Writing a list would be a really useful way of just having having time set aside to just write down what elements of my life would I like to improve if I had the opportunity today. Because I think in writing that, the, the brain has to go to, well, what don't I like at the moment? Well, I'm too busy. Well, okay, if I had an opportunity then, how could I become less busy? So it's a positive reinforcement of a potentially negative situation. And then when you, I'm not suggesting we have 20 things on the list, but let's just say we've got half a dozen things on the list. It's then going back to those sure. things and trying to do, as I said before, which is imagine that's the situation for, you know, if we, if we disassociate it, imagine that's the, that that's the situation for somebody else. If that person is overworking, what advice would you give that person to reduce their workload? Because immediately you'll get the answer back. Mm. Um, and I think that's just a really healthy way of disassociating it from self, landing it in a place that is not emotional. It's not demanding that I change anything yep. in this moment. All it's saying is, that's that's interesting. I notice that that person is really struggling with the amount of work that they're doing. I wonder what might help yep. them and what could I ask them? What advice could I give them to help improve that situation? And you just do that working down the list and then you just sit back and you listen to the information that you take back in. The difficulty with us, I think, as humans is that whilst we're driving and coping and moving forward all the time, we're not actually listening to the inner voice. And the inner voice is usually trying to prompt us and tell us and give us warnings about mm. things that are potentially not great for us. Uh, but we tend to slap it away and just yeah. go, yeah, yeah, OK, I'll just carry straight on. But giving yourself the time to just yeah. sit and reflect with that feedback and thinking about what you might want to do with that, I think that would be a, a really good start. Yeah. And in order to hear that voice, we have to be quiet. We have to create yeah. the space to be able to actually yeah. listen to that voice. And then, and then acknowledge it. Yeah, exactly. Michelle, you have a gift for um, for some listeners today. Can you share a little bit about that and um, how yeah, um, sure. people might um, connect with you if they'd like to? Okay, sure. Um, I've recently written a book. In fact, it went live on the 1st of April. Uh, it's called The Silent Child in Me. And literally, it's the, it's the story in my life. Um, uh, it's okay, it's based in tragedy and sadness, but actually the end result is really positive. Um, and it, it doesn't fixate, as I've said, on, on NRP. It opens up the opportunities to discuss various things. It shows the impact of my upbringing 
into different areas such as relationships, my self-esteem, my attitude towards exercise, my attitude, attitude towards dieting, um, my mum's suicide and all those things. But actually, uh, I think there's one chapter that's called, um, oh my God, I've forgotten what it's called now, uh, my knight in shining armour, which was NLP. So for me, NLP was transformational. Um, at the end of each chapter, I just ask six NLP type questions for people just to prod the subconscious, just to get people starting to think about the way they're working, the way they're driving, the impacts of potential things in the past that might have happened to them and what that might mean for them right now. It's not a self-help book as in, I think you should do this. Uh, it isn't like that. It's purely just to prod the subconscious in an NLP way. So I have uh, five copies for any of your listeners who, who would like a copy. They can get hold of me either through um, Michelle at Melius, which is M-E-L-I-U-S-S-E.com. Um, so Michelle at Melias.com or they can find me Michelle on Souk uh, on LinkedIn and any way they want to contact me like that uh, I'm happy to send them a, a copy of my book so the first five and then uh, just uh, get them to send me their, their name and address cheers that's that's very uh, very generous and uh, thank you for doing that and um, we'll include links to um, all of your profiles in the show notes as well. So um, anyone who wants to connect with you um, will be able to do so. Michelle, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for sharing your story and your expertise with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks so much for listening to Passion and Profits Without Burnout. I hope that you found some impactful takeaways. And if you did, I'd love to hear from you. Share a screenshot on your IG story, tag me, or send me a quick message. This show is for you, so any feedback is welcomed. Hey, and make sure you're also subscribed to the show so you don't miss any of our new episodes. And if you could, take a few minutes to leave me a five-star review. That'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks for listening, and be well.